0: Due to the graphic nature of this murder case, listener discretion is advised. This episode includes dramatizations and discussions of murder and violence. We advise extreme caution for children under 13. On the morning of June 19th, 1975, Mobsters Chucky English and Dominic Butch Blasey stood in a restaurant parking lot just outside of Chicago. It was a quiet morning and the summer air was heavy.
1: The two longtime members of the Chicago outfit didn't have much to say to each other. Their former boss, Sam Giancana, had just returned from his exile in Mexico and wanted them over for dinner. They were both nervous about the meeting.
0: Chucky and Butch had risen through the ranks alongside Sam, but something had shifted in the past few years.
1: Sam had always been a bit flashier than a mob boss should be. He preferred flared pants and heeled boots to the old-school dark suits, and he'd set up rackets in both Hollywood and Las
0: Vegas. He appeared in newspapers with famous singers on his arm and might have even been mixed up in the Kennedy assassination.
1: Everyone knew who he was, including members of the U.S. Senate. In fact, a few of them wanted to talk to him the next day. Not for a chat, but a
0: formal hearing. This proceeding would surely bring more attention to the mob. Foot soldiers like Chucky and Butch worried about the secrets Sam could spill on the stand.
1: He might have been a good boss before, but now he was causing trouble. Perhaps it was time to take matters into their own hands.
0: This is Unsolved Murders True Crime Stories, a Spotify original from ParCast. I'm your host, Carter Roy.
1: And I'm your host, Wendy McKenzie. Every Tuesday, we dive into the world of a real unsolved murder and try to solve the case.
0: You can find episodes of Unsolved Murders and all other Spotify originals from ParCast for free on Spotify.
1: This is our final episode on the murder of mobster Sam Giancana. Last time, we covered Sam's rise in the Chicago outfit, his alleged involvement in a CIA plot to assassinate Fidel Castro, and the night he was murdered, just hours before he was supposed to testify about that very scheme.
0: This week, we'll dig into the web of conspiracies and secrecy that investigators struggled to untangle following Giancana's death.
1: We have all that and more coming up. Stay with us.
2: There's no better feeling than a personal win, and the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with a personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state.
1: At 11 p.m. on June 19, 1975, Sam Giancana's caretaker, Joe DiPersio called down to his boss to see if he needed anything before bed. Usually, Sam responded quickly, but this time, Joe got no reply. He flicked off the TV and padded into the basement.
0: At first, nothing looked amiss. The den was quiet and cozy, with shelves covered in Sam's favorite things, expensive cigars, golf clubs, and film reels. The mob boss had only been back in his Oak Park home for a few days. It must have been nice to see his creature comforts again.
1: Joe heard food sizzling and caught a whiff of sausage. There was a small kitchenette down there. Sam was probably making a midnight snack.
0: Two chairs were pulled out at the dining room table. A bottle of Tab soda sat on one end and an ashtray on the other. Perhaps he had a late night visitor.
1: The caretaker took another step forward and then he saw a body on the ground
0: right in front
1: of the stove.
0: Sam lay motionless on his back, blood pooling from his mouth. He'd been shot.
1: Joe's mind started racing. He'd been upstairs all night and hadn't heard any gunfire. He knew Sam had hosted a dinner party a few hours ago. The guest list was short. Just a few members of his family and
0: mobsters Chucky English and Butch Blasey. It was hard to imagine any of them doing this. Perhaps someone else knocked on the steel basement door after they left, or maybe one of them really was responsible.
1: Joe only knew one thing for sure. The murder was very recent. Sam's blood was still oozing down his face. The sausages on the stove hadn't burned yet. It had only been a few minutes at most.
0: The caretaker turned off the gas stove and called Sam's daughter, Francine.
2: Francine, I'm sorry. I don't know how to say this, but your father... he's dead.
1: What are you talking about, Joe? I just saw him a couple of hours ago. He was fine.
2: He must have let someone inside. I'm not sure, but they shot him.
1: I don't understand. Dad wouldn't just let anyone inside.
2: No, he wouldn't. I can't believe it either, Francine. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Happening. <laughs> After alerting the family, Joe called an ambulance and then the police by midnight. It didn't take long for the EMTs to confirm what he already knew.
2: No pulse. Based on the blood, I'd say time of death, 11 o'clock, roughly. Six shots to the face and one in the back of the neck. One in the neck? That's an old mop saying, right? Sticking a 22 right in the back of the head... Tilting it up so it doesn't make a sound? Keep it down. Oh, come on. We all know who this is. Gangsters go at each other like cats. It's only a matter of time before one of them goes. This isn't just one of them. Uh, He's up there in the ranks. And big guys like
0: him? They don't get killed like this. Within a few minutes, more investigators arrived. They determined that the shots that killed Sam had been fired at close range. The culprit wasn't afraid of Sam or what they were about to do. They were highly trained and had almost certainly killed before.
1: Sam's wallet was on the floor in his hand. It looked like the killer had rifled through it looking for something. At first, detectives thought it might've been a robbery, but then they found $1,400 in Sam's pockets. They were on the hunt for something else, something more valuable than
0: cash. As the authorities searched the basement, they noticed a few knickknacks and papers that seemed out of place. It looked like the assassin lingered for a few moments after the murder, pawing through Sam's possessions.
1: But for obvious reasons, Sam Giancana was a very private man. He kept his most important things in a locked desk. Joe DiPersio said there was only one key, and try as they might, the investigators couldn't find it.
0: There was a safe in the house that was also impossible to crack. All of this was frustrating. Whatever was in that safe might lead the police to Sam's killer. But the mobster was well-versed in secrecy and even his crime scene refused to give up information.
1: Shortly afterward, medics arrived and took Sam's remains. The investigators left the house.
0: The detectives may have thought over the case on their drive home. There wasn't much they could say for certain at that point. They
1: knew Sam was involved with the Chicago outfit. That meant he had plenty of enemies and lots of reasons to watch his back. He only would have opened the door for someone he trusted.
0: But trust was a slippery thing in the mob world, and Sam had been falling down the ranks in the last few years.
1: If the officers paid attention to the news, they'd probably caught wind of the ongoing grand jury trial. The prosecution was trying to bring federal charges against Sam and his underworld colleagues. After years of stonewalling, the mobster finally agreed to testify about some of his criminal activities in December of 1974.
0: The rest of the Chicago Syndicate couldn't have been happy about the development. Anyone blabbing about mob secrets automatically had a target on their back.
1: And this wasn't the only investigation Sam was wrapped up in. He was supposed to testify in front of a Senate special commission the very next day about a very strange chapter in his career.
0: In the early 1960s, the CIA had hired the mob to assassinate Fidel Castro for them. This plan was never borne out and remained a secret until March of 1975, when an explosive New York Times story confirmed it and named Sam Giancana as a key figure.
1: This revelation was embarrassing for the CIA, who probably didn't want to be associated with organized crime or the coordinated killing of a foreign leader. In other words, they didn't want Sam to spill the beans.
0: As the investigators went over the case, a single fact must have haunted them.
1: Whoever killed him shoved their pistol right past his teeth and squeezed the trigger six times. This ensured that he bled out quickly, but it also acted as a warning. Don't talk, or this
0: will happen to you, too. The real question was who wanted Sam to shut up more, the Chicago outfit or the CIA? Coming up, the authorities make a
1: discovery about the mob.
0: In the days following Sam Giancana's murder, multiple law enforcement agencies found excuses not to investigate it.
1: Chicago police claimed the murder was out of their jurisdiction, even though two of their own officers were guarding Sam's house on the night of June 19th, when Sam was killed.
0: The Justice Department wiped its hands of the case, and not a single FBI agent was assigned to it.
1: The only party that seemed genuinely concerned was the Senate Special Committee, That was where Sam was supposed to testify the morning after he was killed. They might have been worried about the precedent that his murder set.
0: These congressmen eventually assigned Bernard Carey, the Cook County State Attorney, as a special prosecutor on the case.
1: Bernard had his work cut out for him. Mob violence was notoriously difficult to investigate because gangsters tended to close ranks whenever law enforcement was around. And this particular case also involved the CIA, one of the most secretive organizations on the planet.
0: If there were any witnesses, they weren't going to talk. And if Bernard made one wrong move, he could end up just like Sam.
1: There's not much information about what the special prosecutor did in the first few days of his investigation. But his office did tell the press about a major discovery on June 22, 1975.
2: This is delicate information, but we're pretty sure Sam Giancana left a note behind. So, it was a suicide? God, no. Have you seen the pictures? This was more of an... insurance policy, I guess. A a list of his enemies. The people who might want to kill him. Maybe some secrets that the outfit bigwigs don't want out in the open. He told everyone he'd leak it to the authorities if he got killed. So you have it? Not yet. It's locked up somewhere. Just like everything else in this case.
0: Even though the state attorney couldn't read this so-called enemy list, if it was real, then it proved that Sam knew he was in danger. Apparently, one of his closest associates, Richard Kane, had been assassinated a few years earlier. This might have spooked him into action.
1: Kane was a Chicago policeman who also worked for the mob, and had been closely involved with the plot to kill Fidel Castro. He'd moved to Mexico to act as Sam's chauffeur for a few years, and returned to Chicago in 1973. He lasted about three weeks before being gunned down in a sandwich shop.
0: Naturally, people started to draw a connection between these two killings. Some said that Sam was killed for the same reason that Kane was, either because he knew too much or because he'd outlived his usefulness. Others insisted that Sam ordered the hit on Kane and was killed in retaliation.
1: It's not clear how Bernard Carey interpreted this information, though. He kept a fairly low profile throughout his investigation and hardly ever shared what he was thinking. All the authorities could do was continue to hunt for clues. And Sam's funeral, which took place on June 23rd, 1975, seemed like the next big opportunity.
0: Even in death, Sam Giancana lived large. The crime boss was buried in a bronze casket in a field speckled with grave sites of Al Capone and other infamous mobsters.
1: Attendees used handkerchiefs to shield their faces from the countless cameras scattered around the funeral home. Meanwhile, a group of young men guarded the service from the press.
0: The funeral attracted onlookers too. Some milled around outside the funeral home's gate. Others climbed up nearby roofs to get a look at the spectacle.
1: Sam's reputation preceded him. He was a celebrity of sorts, and people wanted to send him off properly. Or at least say they were there to witness it.
0: More than a hundred mourners were in attendance, including Sam's three daughters and several relatives.
1: Butch Blasey was the pallbearer. He'd been at Sam's dinner party right before the murder, and was one of the boss's most trusted confidants. Investigators had to speak with him eventually.
0: But it wasn't just about who was at the funeral— It was about who wasn't there. With the exception of Butch and Sam's immediate family, there was hardly any mob presence. None of the major bosses attended.
1: Sure, they might have skipped it to avoid the press, but there was a rumor that someone high up in the syndicate told them
0: to stay away. Even though the funeral didn't provide any huge leads, it did grant the public a glimpse at the social dynamics of the mob, Subpoenas were filed to Butch Blasey and Chucky English days after the event.
1: The special prosecutor, Bernard Carey, knew testimony wouldn't get him very far in this case, though. He needed hard evidence, like the enemy list or whatever was hidden in Sam's desk. Documents wouldn't clam up
0: in front of him the way mobsters would. So, on June 24th, He requested a search warrant for all the items he couldn't access in Sam's basement the first time around. This included the desk, a filing cabinet, a safe, and a tape recorder.
1: A criminal court judge named John Heckinger signed off on the warrant almost immediately, and Bernard Carey's team jumped into action. A few members of his staff forcibly opened the desk and made a quick inventory of the items they found.
0: They noted a set of keys and stacks of papers. A few names jumped out at them as they flipped through, and they probably got excited to read more closely. This seemed like a holy grail.
1: But just as the staffers got their hands on these documents, another message came from the courthouse. Sam Giancana's daughters had filed a restraining order saying that their father's personal items weren't relevant to the crime. A different judge named Daniel Covelli ruled the search warrant was illegal because no criminal charges had been filed.
0: This was a strange argument to say the least. Search warrants are often approved without charges. But Judge Covelli granted the restraining order anyway and forced the investigators to seal up the evidence.
1: The ruling raised some eyebrows in the legal community. One state's attorney described it as unheard of and unprecedented.
0: Essentially, Judge Cavalli was claiming to be more authoritative than Judge Heckinger, even though they had equal jurisdiction. Technically, the restraining order should have been taken to an appellate court. Bernard filed a
1: petition, but it was overruled by Judge Covelli. The state attorney's office essentially had to wipe their memories of everything they saw in those documents,
0: including the names. The state attorney was angry. Sam's belongings could have held all the answers. His team had gotten so close before the restraining order came through. It seemed like everyone wanted to keep them in the dark.
1: At some point during this two-day saga... The state attorney probably took a break to check on what was happening in Washington, D.C. The Senate hearings were still going on, and on June 24th, one of Sam Giancana's mob colleagues, John Roselli, took the stand.
0: Roselli's testimony essentially replaced Sam's in the Senate committee, the testimony that might have gotten Sam killed. He gave the senators a shocking, detailed account of of the mob's collaboration with the CIA in the early 1960s.
1: He refused to name any of the still-living agents or gangsters involved, but did confirm that Sam Giancana had something to do with the plans to kill Fidel Castro. After the hearing wrapped up, it was logical to think Roselli would be hit next.
0: But then, nothing. John Roselli was fine for the moment.
1: Up until this point, the authorities had generally assumed that Sam was murdered because of his planned visit to the Senate. The Roselli story suggested it wasn't that simple.
0: As Bernard thought more about this, he wondered if there was more to it. According to a 1976 New York Times article, a friend of Sam's also discounted the theory.
2: Sam told me that he had been away so long he didn't know anything of value. And besides, he wasn't afraid of jail. The last time he was in the can, he was able to get his cigars, his liquor, anything he wanted. He was as loyal as they come, so I know he wasn't killed for squealing. More likely it was some fight within the mafia. There was always something.
1: While investigators didn't completely discard the idea that Sam was killed to maintain his silence, they did start to widen their scope.
0: Bernard Carey began to look into recent mob-related deaths, like Richard Kane's. He most likely noticed that there was a growing rivalry between old and young Chicago Mafia members.
1: Younger Mafia members weren't happy with family racket operations. They hated the way profits were divided and were tired of middle-aged dons telling them to stand back and pay their dues.
0: Sam Giancana seemed an ideal symbol of the old guard. He was pushing 70, and his flashy ways felt like they were beamed in from another era, back when mobsters rubbed elbows with lounge singers and showgirls, rather than focusing on business.
1: If those young guns killed Sam, it would send a clear message to the entire outfit.
0: Bernard wasn't sure about this theory, though. Sam was too large of a presence to be wasted just to set an example. And he was sure that younger, less experienced mobsters knew this. Plus,
1: the murder had felt so personal. Sam's killer clearly wasn't some hired hitman or rowdy young mobster. It was someone he knew.
0: Coming up, an old theory resurfaces and creates more questions than answers.
1: By late summer of 1975, state attorney Bernard Carey was fairly certain that Sam Giancana had been killed by a member of his inner circle. But he had no idea where to go next.
0: He'd subpoenaed multiple members of the Chicago mob for interviews, but they refused to give him any valuable information.
2: How long had you been friends with the deceased? Long time. Uh, How many years exactly? Exactly. Lots. All right, well, did you notice anything different about Mr. Giancana after he returned from Mexico? He was richer, I guess. Would you say that people were after him? Maybe for his money? Maybe. Do you know if he had any enemies? Probably. Anyone you can name? Nope. Nope.
1: Eventually, Bernard Carey must have realized that the subpoenas weren't getting him anywhere.
0: His frustration with the case continued to mount, but he got some good news on August 12, 1975.
1: The Illinois Supreme Court overruled Judge Covelli, and the restraining order on Sam's belongings was suspended. This meant that investigators could finally look through the papers and personal items in Sam's Oak Park home.
0: Bernard hoped that they would reveal something about the slaying. But as soon as the papers were in front of him, the attorney's heart sank. They were mostly personal files that didn't have much to do with Sam's criminal life. He'd kept his father's naturalization papers from Italy, an IOU from his time in Mexico, and a list of gifts from his daughter's wedding.
1: None of it seemed immediately relevant to the murder, but as Bernard scanned through the wedding papers, he recognized one of the gift givers' names, Daniel Covelli. The judge who okayed the restraining order had apparently given the newlyweds $500.
0: The judge denied giving this gift, but the Gianconas confirmed that the list was real. Covelli was a family friend, which is probably why he was willing to bend the law in their favor.
1: It's not clear what else Carrie found once the restraining order was lifted, but it didn't seem to affect the case much. If anything, it showed him just how powerful Sam Giancana was, and underlined why the case was so difficult. Everyone seemed willing to protect him, even after his death.
0: Bernard was overwhelmed with how much there was left to uncover. No one was talking, and every shred of information seemed to lead to another dead end.
1: The state attorney might have lost hope at this point, but he carried on with his investigation anyway.
0: And it's a good thing he did, because just a few days later, a few workmen stumbled on another piece of evidence while mowing a lawn about two miles from Sam's home.
2: Hey, pick up this can for me, would you? Guess picking up litter is too crass for the hoi polloi around here. Sure thing. Huh. Uh, this isn't a can.
1: They found a rusty 22 caliber pistol on the grass and quickly turned it over to the police.
0: The gun was distinctive with a shortened barrel and a homemade silencer. Steel wool was packed inside to make it even quieter. It was clearly modified by a professional and tailor-made for a quick assassination.
1: Authorities were fairly certain it had been used to kill Sam Giancana, and by August 26th, they were sure of it. The slugs found in the mobster's body had tiny scratches on them from the steel wool, and the ballistics tests matched up perfectly.
0: Bernard had his team trace the gun, and they found that it came from a shop in Miami. It was originally delivered to the dealer on June 20th, 1965.
1: Even though the original date of sale was a decade before Sam's murder, the location set off alarm bells in the investigators' heads. There had always been a sizable
0: mob presence in Miami. Several members of the Florida Syndicate had collaborated with Sam on the Castro assassination plot. They could have ordered a hit on him just as easily as the Chicago outfit.
1: It was an enticing theory, but hard to prove. The gun had been sold a very long time ago. It could have changed hands multiple times. And the Florida mob was just as tight-lipped as their Chicago counterparts.
0: Bernard Carey spent an entire year following more leads and running into more dead ends. By the fall of 1976, he grew hopeless. The secretive nature of the mob had turned his case into a black box. Even though he had decent ideas about why Giancana was killed, it felt impossible to figure out who was responsible.
1: Despite his frustrations, Bernard still didn't give up. He'd invested over a year of time and energy into the murder and was desperate to have something to show for it. He even became willing to embellish the
0: truth a bit. In September of 1976, The first assistant state attorney, Ralph Berkowitz, told the media the investigation finally had a likely suspect.
2: Mr. Berkowitz, what progress have you and your team made on Sam Giancana's murder investigation? We're very close to finding the killer of crime syndicate chief, Sam Giancana. Though I can't reveal the identity just yet. One of the dinner party guests, Butch Blasey, Chucky English? Can't say, unfortunately. Unfortunately. Oh, come on. Is there anything you can tell us about the killer? Well, Bernard is pretty sure we can rule out the CIA. The younger members of the mob just didn't want any part of Sam. He was a liability. A gangster. Okay. Any idea of the motive? Giancana outlived his usefulness. He'd made some enemies in the mob, and he was just an old man taking up space by the end. His murder had nothing to do with Kennedy, Castro, or anything like that. It was mob politics. Plain and simple.
1: Berkowitz also said that the team was almost ready to release the name of this mysterious suspect. They just needed to do a bit more digging.
0: It seems like something got in the way, though. The name was never released. The official investigation fizzled out.
1: Multiple theories have swirled around Sam Giancana's death in the years since they tend to fall into one of two categories. Some say he was killed to maintain silence before the Senate hearings. Others claim the murder came from bad relations with other outfit members.
0: Even though the investigators dismissed the first theory, they may have eaten their words a year later.
1: In February of 1977, John Roselli's remains were found in an oil drum floating off the coast of Miami. One source told the New York Times that the Chicago mob was responsible. The mafia confirmed that Roselli had been killed because he spilled mob secrets in the Senate hearings.
0: According to the Times source, they'd killed Sam, too.
1: But the mob was chock full of hitmen and trained killers. It's hard to say who among them pulled the trigger.
0: Dominic Butch Blasey has been credited as one of the most likely suspects due to his close proximity to Sam and his presence at the dinner party. In a 2011 documentary, one of Sam's daughters even claimed that she saw Blasey's car pull into the driveway when she left her father's house at the end of the night.
1: Ultimately, Sam could have been killed by any number of mob associates. They lived in a dangerous world
0: or even the strongest alliances could end in bloodshed. For a long time, Sam seemed to rule the underworld. It was only a matter of time before he was dethroned.
1: Thanks again for tuning in to Unsolved Murders. We'll be back next Tuesday with a new episode.
0: For more information amongst the many sources we used, we found Double Cross, the explosive inside story of the mobster who controlled America, extremely helpful to our research. It was written by the younger Sam Giancana, along with Chuck and Bettina Giancana. We also found Mafia Boss Sam Giancana, The Rise and Fall of a Chicago Mobster by Susan McNichol, extremely helpful.
1: You can find all episodes of Unsolved Murders and all other Spotify originals from ParCast for free on Spotify. We'll see you next time.
0: Unsolved Murders True Crime Stories is a Spotify original from ParCast. Executive produced by Max Cutler. Our Head of Programming is Julian bois Our Supervising Sound Designer is Russell Nash, with Nick Johnson as our Head of Production and Quality Control by Lisa Marie Gallegos. Stacey Nemec is our Supervising Editor and Derek Jennings is our Writing Lead. This episode of Unsolved Murders was written by Arohi Sheth, edited by Sarah Batchelor and Terrell Wells, fact-checked by Katherine Barner, researched by mickey taylor produced by joshua kern and sound designed by carrie murphy it stars joe hernandez tiana camacho dinesh alvis tommy arseniega and brian green our hosts are wendy mckenzie and me carter roy